0: So, this first section, we're kind of going to go to, you know, coming to him in prayer. And we're going to kind of look at prayer. He, he, he shares a parable here regarding um, this situation and, and this story he kind of puts out there, uh, if it was a real story or not, or just an example he gave. But it really kind of shows us what to and what not to do far as prayer and the way it goes. And so, as we, as we look at the scripture, look with me at verse 18, um, or chapter 18, verse 1. If you need a Bible, Tony has them there, just raise your hand. And um, what we see here is it says, And then he spoke a parable to them that men, men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, it's kind of interesting that men always ought to pray. And that that statement's kind of interesting. When you slow down and you look at human nature, and I mean, probably less in our culture than most, but all men seek God in a form. They're, they're, They're trying to seek a God at least, right? Some kind of deity, they're either carving a statue. Men are designed to worship. We like to worship, right? You look all the way through history, all the different tribes, they're worshiping something. You know, they come around something, and, and ungodly or not, or whatever the deal is, they come around it. And so it's kind of, should be a no-brainer that us as believers, we ought to pray. We ought to talk, communicate with God, fellowship with God, especially when we have a real and a living God, and it's not, you know, something we carved and, you know, some of the insanity that goes on when you, when you look at it logically. And so we ought to pray. And, and it should be easy, but somehow it seems like work many times. To sit down, to take the time to pray, or it's not work, it's a last resort. You ever get in a situation, then you have to stop and pray. You know, um, I'm pretty mechanically entwined, or entwined inclined, there we go. Entwined sometimes, depending on what's going on. We actually did take two boats out last night to test them for Fourth of July, and I got a cheap $500 boat it matches ours, and it didn't start when we first got it in the water, so I had to have Heidi pick me up and help me with the other kids, and uh, we're kind of having her try to guide it down the river with the current. I wasn't going to talk about this, but it got pretty brutal. We hit some branches and some things, and I'm trying to work on the motor on the back of the boat. She's trying not to kill us all. Um, but we did get entwined. The rope we were towing with got entwined at a point, too, so we had two non-running boats for a while and almost took out somebody's nice pontoon boat on the side. But anyways, so sometimes inclined, <laughs> digress, but um, there are some situations, and this one wasn't one, surprisingly, many times I can stop and I'll, I'll, I'll help somebody out the side of the road, and it's two seconds, I can see what's going on, oh, this happened, this. You know, guys come to work at Armour, and they, oh, that's not going on, I find a loose wire and fix it. When it comes to my stuff, it doesn't seem to happen that way. It's like the gift that helps is for other people in that sense. I remember one time we had a Ford, 85 Ford Ranger that was pretty nice. It only had 82,000 miles. It would have been perfect if I didn't buy it pre-rolled. The previous owner had rolled it over. So the cab was pretty much straight besides the driver's side. The bed was tweaked, but it worked, you know. And um, we were headed back from Southern California to Turlock, and it stopped running. It It was messing up, messing up. And the distributor cap was chewing things up in there. And so, I mean, so many times I'll fight and fight and fight and fight. And I remember that time fighting with it, fighting with it in the rain, and sitting there and Heidi finally, after about an hour and a half, two hours, pregnant in the rain, watching me as AutoZone's closing, our last hope to get out of there that night, you know, looks up and goes, Do you want to pray? It's like the last resort. You know, I've tried everything and given up, and do you want to pray? And sure enough, it's like, duh. And the truck gets on the road and goes but so many times we do that it it comes down to a point of oh no i'm in this situation Ah, help you know and i I very much like children in that sense you know you don't children don't care until they get in trouble ah now mom dad help me i've done something dumb but You look at it, and so it should be not the first thing, though. It shouldn't be just to cry out for help when we need it. It is awesome to know that he is there, that he loves us, and we can cry out to him like a father in that sense, but we should have more interaction, more of a relationship. And so it says we ought to pray and not lose heart. And at first you go, not lose heart? Well, okay, when you slow down and you think about that, what a beautiful thing. Because how many times do you pray for something and it seems like God isn't responding? You know, and and I don't know about you guys. I I understand a lot of things and God should really go by my timing on stuff, not his own. You know, at least that's my thought when I'm praying for something. God, I'm praying for this and it needs to happen now. And he says, no. And I'm like, no, you didn't hear me. I said it needs to happen now. It just, you know... Some of those things, and, and many times God is allowing stuff to continue and has a good purpose in those things, or what we're praying for, we're praying a miss and praise God he didn't answer our prayer with a yes, but many times as we even pray for those things and we're crying out, God's working in our lives, changing our hearts. You know, there's many things, I've prayed for things that are good things, but my heart wasn't ready. I wasn't really into what was the answer going to be, I didn't have the capability, my heart wasn't lined up with him and through praying and praying for something and being patient and waiting, it has prepared you for that situation, you know, it, it, you, you know there, there are certain things that you know, take time to prepare you, you know, most women probably go, you know, nine months pregnant is not a good thing, what if it was two weeks, see? And then you guy's like, oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't want to suddenly, oh, find out you're pregnant two weeks later, have a child. No, that nine months of preparing, wrapping your mind around it, getting ready for lack of sleep, you know, and all those things come, and it finally gets to a point where, you know, like most of you guys, I just want to be done. And then you realize, well, it was easier to take care of when they were not on the outside, at least for us men, you know. It's easier when they're still in the womb to deal with. Didn't wake me up. It wasn't kicking me at all. I think Anthony did though. If I'm not mistaken, I don't care where he was And when she'd roll over her belly. He was just kicking sideways. And then after he was born, he would we you know we'd be all in bed together, and he would turn sideways and go like this. So you know his presence was known way beforehand. He just just to let you know what life's going to be like with me. We're going to keep you two apart now. But. Um, you know, sometimes so there's sometimes it's just God's not answering right away. And it seems, but He commands us, He's telling us, do not lose heart. Can you imagine you, you, you have something heavy on your heart and you keep asking your parents and it doesn't seem like they're responding or giving you the answer you want? Or or it's like, Hold on a minute. You know, that that that's a hard thing. You know, when you come to your mom, Dad, I really want you know, I really want a new bicycle, or I really want a car, I really want something. And your dad goes, well, no, not right now. Now's not the time. You're not old enough. But keep asking. See, that changes it all when he would say, hey, just keep asking. And, and don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. This is going to come. There is going to be a time for these things. You know, you, you, you sit there and you look at things and, 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 you know, maybe you're single and you're praying, God, I, I can't. I, I really desire to be married. I, I want to have children. I want to have these things. Continue to pray. Do not lose heart. He has a plan in those things. You know what I mean? Yeah, and sometimes, you know, he's preparing us in that way. But we're going to have to change that around. But um, it's one of those things where it just really prepares us. And, and he kind of clarifies this. He gives us this picture here in this parable of verse 2. It says, saying there was a certain, or saying, this parable, there was a certain city A judge who did not fear God nor man and there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying get justice for me from my adversary now this judge it really clearly says here didn't fear God or man okay and 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 most likely in this time it would have you would have been comparing it to a judge would have been a Roman judge it okay, wouldn't have been a religious leader in the Jewish culture. wouldn't have been talking about Rome running over in the area. And he doesn't care. He, he has no concern about what's right and wrong before God, any morality judgment, and nor does he care about any man's opinion. I don't care if this guy, he's not after political office, he has his position. He isn't worried about what anybody says. Okay, He's only worried about himself. And in verse 4 it says, And he... Would not for a while, but after he had said in himself, I, th- I do not fear God, nor I fear man. But yet, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Least by her continued coming to me, she, she wearies me. So this widow keeps coming and coming and coming. And this term troubles means almost like to pound on, to hammer. She, she's hammering on him. I need justice, justice. And in that day... For us, see, a judge comes, he's expected to judge. A case comes before him, he's expected to make a decision. Judges didn't make decisions back then if they didn't want to. You could come, they could have a problem, you could listen, go, okay, that's nice. Well, aren't you going to judge? Well, sure, bribe me and whoever bribes me more, I'll judge. You know, but if you're not going to benefit me to make a judgment, if I could care less, I'm not going to waste my time judging this at all. I'm gonna make any decision on it. And so just by her being consistently coming and coming and coming and pounding him and saying, hey, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, he decides she's becoming a headache. I'm gonna deal with her. I'm gonna, at least I don't gotta to listen to this person anymore. So I mean, nowadays it's like, you know, you're calling, you know, whatever, AT&T, Comcast, Amazon, and the squeaky wheel. You know, <laughs> the more you call and call and call sometimes you know, you, you'll get the, hopefully an answer you want at a point. And so this is the example he puts out there. And then in verse 6 it says, And then the Lord said, Hearing what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, through though he bears long with them? Now, It isn't saying God is like this unjust judge. He's saying even if this guy who is carnal, who is wicked, who is unjust, who has no concern for this other person, no concern of God or any man, is willing to make a judgment because this person continually comes to him, how much more does God, who cares and loves you, is going to defend you, going to defend his chosen, his elect, who cry out day and night to him. And he brought bears with him, long suffers with him. He's patient with him. And it's kind of interesting to look at that and go, how much more? And, and, and many times it's easy to lose heart. But in this example, he brings it out real close. Not even just do not lose heart. Let's take a look at this and say, how much more does God care about you? He wants us to continually be bringing our needs to him. You know, many times when we pray, it's like, I don't want to just be always asking him for stuff. You know, oh, God, God, you're great. God, you're awesome, this and this. But, you know, I'm sorry. Just want to ask you: Can you help out with this thing? Can you help out with that thing? And He wants us. He wants us to not lose heart. He wants us to bring our needs to Him, to lay them down before Him. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, many times I talk about you know comparing our relationship with God and how our, our even our kids and even how God does that. And just in this case too, if your child comes to you, you want to know their needs it's very helpful sometimes to know their needs, right? It, it actually becomes a lot easier when they can actually start communicating their needs. When they go from a little infant and everything's, ah, to they start to put some kind of tone to some things, so you know what what kind of ah is what, which some of your parents in here, I know with our oldest, Alex, nobody could understand him, even probably at like three years old. We could. We could knew exactly what he was saying. Other people are like, what did he just say? Right? We started to learn what he meant and what he was understanding. The jarvel that was coming out of his mouth, we, we we're dead on with it. And so same with God is he, he loves us and he, and he desires to hear from us and, and he desires to meet our needs. Now, of course, unlike God, we are parents. We fall short. We don't have the foresight, always we should, of uh, things and, and we're fallen. But with God, He knows our needs. He wants us to bring our needs to Him. You know, me, I'm more the type, God knows if He wants to give me it, He'll answer it. Why do I have to tell Him? It's that relationship. You know, it's a relationship, and there, there's, you know, the basis of it. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to communicate with Him. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to share our hearts with Him, the things that burden us, our needs with Him, and not to lose heart in doing so continue to do so knowing he hears us, knowing he's going to answer our cries out and and will bring it to us. You know, and and this word cry out day and night, it has the, the thought and you know in our culture especially we sit here and go think of the things we cry out about. And I was looking at a thing. I was listening uh, to, to a pastor, and, uh, David Guzik, and he st- was looking at statistically what, what is going on in the world population-wise. There are more Christians being put to death every day now than any other time in human history. Most of us wouldn't think, what? Yeah, most around the world, what's going on, more Christians are being persecuted, put to death, and they're crying out, and God's answering those prayers, sometimes taking them home. And you look at this and not to lose heart in that. And we can look at that if, you know, on a, on a scale like that globally and in situations where there's heavy persecution. And sometimes that persecution can be simply somebody at work or a situation at work. And you'll be crying out and long-suffering, and God will deliver you. He might deliver you from that job altogether and put you somewhere else, <laughs> you know. And you might think, oh, this is horrible. I can't believe I lost a job because of this, you know, where's God? You know, and many times we can sit down and you look at situations and go, man, it seems like the people that are wicked are getting blessed, and here I'm trying to serve you, Lord, and I'm not. You know, what's the deal? But we cannot lose heart because he hears us, he loves us, and he has our best in mind. He's not going to withhold blessings from us. Now, just like a little child, some of those blessings are not what we would assume, right? We would jump But in verse 8, it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will really find, will he really find faith on earth? And that's an interesting question. So he he will expend us, he'll avenge us. There's going to be an avengence. And nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when he returns, when he comes, is he going to find faith on earth? And that's an interesting thought. So we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to be ought to pray. We're supposed to expect that he's going to answer, that we should not lose heart. And yet, is he going to find faith? Is that going to be the case? And many times, you know, it takes something traumatic for our faith to really be revealed. Most of the time we can go on about life and then it takes you know, hours of trying to fix a car in the rain for the reality of the situation, going, God, I need your help. I need to do there. And it's kind of sad in that sense, but that's where it comes down. What, what is real faith? Real faith is a real relationship with God. And when we look at prayer, there's all kinds of prayer. You have vain reputation that's warned about in the Bible. There are fellowships, there are churches, there's, there are religious organizations that repeat prayers repeatedly, okay? Well, if you believe God hears you, is it necessary to repeat it again and again and again? Well, Jesus, before he went to the cross, repeated three times. Peter prayed three times, you know, this cup taken from me, and you look at those things, so there are things, but is it vain reputation? You know, is it just repeating it to say it? Do you really mean it? Do you expect him to hear it? You know, every parent in here knows what mom, 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 mom is like, you know? And it's not that mom, 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 unlike us, will give you the answer that you want because there's a point where if it's harmful, mom, 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 or dad, 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 I don't care how many times you say that, I'm not giving my two-year-old the keys to the car. Just, You know, there are some things out of the corner of my mind, I'll go, okay, sure, have a Cheeto or whatever. but. You know, God isn't going to do that. And he, he does listen. And many times we either don't want to hear the answer or we're not waiting for his timing in it. But when you really are talking to God to bring something up again, God, this is really heavy on my heart. If your child is really burdened about something and comes to you more than once, what is your response going to be? Yeah, I hear you. It's not for this moment, but I still hear you. I love you. You're going to comfort them. You're going to encourage them. You might give them. You really want what? Okay, well, let's start with a bicycle instead of a car. You know, we'll go down. We'll figure out power wheels or whatever the thing is. But if it's especially a burden, you know, and many times we'll be praying, and some of those burdens are for people we love, illnesses, sicknesses, and things, and God doesn't seem to answer or he doesn't answer the way we want. You know, me and Heidi, we've prayed many times with her lupus. I don't know how many times that, hey, God, just take this from her heel. We got an answer was stop praying for this. Ooh, not the answer we wanted. Okay, so we can't pray for healing. Okay, what about the symptoms? (laughs) We'll just start there. Let's just name off the symptoms. But what's happened, what we've noticed, without even like some drastic change, no fireworks, is, you know, little simple things and, and little directions and simple things from all the different supplements and everybody else wants to sell you, oh, okay, take this, it'll cure you from, uh, uh, you know, I pray this super special prayer over my wife every morning and that's why she's never sick, you gotta try it. You know, I'm like, oh... I'm sorry, I didn't have the right spell to get God to do what I wanted. I mean, it's not what prayer is. But through that relationship, God's given grace. And how He's called us, He's given things. She still has some rough days. But what we started to notice wow, she only has a couple rough days a month compared to a couple good days a month. God, you know, God's allowed those things, and it's gotten better. And we still have to rely on them. And, and some things, some, depending on what happens, some days can be worse than others, or weeks, depending, you know. She had a root canal, and it takes her down for a week the way our body works. And so sometimes, yeah, you pray and you answer and you answer, but it becomes down to a real relationship. Not a religion, not hocus-pocus, not a, some kind of formula or praying a certain scripture. You have a loving Father. Communicate. Talk to Him. You know, and many times it's sad because some of the, the greatest prayers are, are the simplest. And we'll kind of see that in this next section here this one man's prayer and it really reveals his heart and how sweet it is compared and in verse 9 it says also he spoke in this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others so he's speaking to a certain group these people feel hey you know what I, I not only can come to God I don't have to I don't even have to ask God I am good I am righteous, I am there. I'm trusting in my works and what I've done. Self-righteous, self-focused. And he starts off in verse 10, he says, these two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I kind of think that's an interesting line in the Bible. The Pharisee stood and prayed to who? Thus with himself. So he's there. He's praying with himself. He isn't praying to God. He's there praying with myself. It's like talking to yourself, right? And depending on the situation, that can be intentional or unintentional, right? You ever talk to yourself hoping other people will overhear? (laughs) I've never done that, right? Never like, you know, grabbing groceries out of the car. I wish other people would grab groceries. I'm just... Stating things to myself that there's a car full of groceries out front uh, telling you, you know, yeah. And so he's sitting there praying to be seen of men. And it says, praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And that this is a big thing, this tax collector, you know. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all my possessions. I've done this and I've done this. Can you imagine what that looks like? To get up there and he's praying this, right? He's praying this in a place where he can be seen, he's praying it where it can be loud. You right? I mean this man over here, I'm not like this guy, you know. It's like, I don't know in our culture if we've ever ran into that. I mean, how, maybe some of you guys around Thanksgiving have had a family member pray, I'm thankful I'm not like my brother. and I've had my kids do that, I guess, thinking about it, you know. Dear God, I know I'm not perfect, but my brother really deserved it. You know? Some of those things. But you sit there and you look at this picture and you've got I, I, you know, I again in there. This, he's all about himself and what he is and what he's accomplished and who he is and how he's worked and how good he is. And I fast and I do this. And in verse 13 it says, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, one guy is there, and the other guys are far off. So one guy must not be far off, right? And so this guy's back in the room. His eyes are down. He's not concerned about anything going on around him. He's not even feeling like he can look up to heaven. Beating his breast is, is like, this hurts, you know? It's like, you know, it's a groaning of the heart. Saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what an amazing prayer that is. This word merciful used is a very unique word. It is merciful because of your atonement is kind of the the flavor it has if you would. It is merciful not just because I want you to be merciful but merciful because of what you have done. He's saying God be merciful because of your work to me a sinner. And verse 14 says, And I tell you this, the the man that went down to his house justified rather than the other. It's kind of interesting when you see this and you look at this sensible situation, you go, yeah, obviously self-righteous and stuff. But how do we come to God? Do we come as we are still? Many times we came as we were, then we got saved, and now we don't come as we are. We start to have a different perspective on who we are or what we believe about ourselves. And we start thinking, you know, check marks. Well, you know, I was a horrible sinner, but I've done these things. And so kind of, you know, God's starting to earn, you know, getting some return on his money here kind of attitude or something. And that's not the case. The amazing thing is both these men didn't think they were like anyone else. The first man thought he was totally separate, that he was more holy than everybody else, and the other one thought he was a greater sinner than everybody else. And the amazing thing is, they're both just as much sinners. They're both the same. One is repentant and admits it and knows he's a sinner and the other is self-reliant. And when we come to God and we need to come as we are, you know, and and you think about that, I mean, you always hear that in church, just come as you are. Right? Most of us guys are fine with come as you are, right? We will get out of bed, we'll come to church in our pajamas, we're fine with that. You ladies, you're not going to come to church as you are. You're going to stop, the bathroom, look in the mirror, gonna fix things up, you know what I mean? But the really truth of who our heart is before God. How many times do we sit there and we look at an issue or a sin or a past failing or when we fall and we come to God and go, no, I don't want to come to you as this. You know, you, you look at Satan and he comes at us with that, right? Oh, look at you. You're a sinner. You really think Do you really think he's going to want to talk to you? Do you really think he's going to want to have a relationship with you? I have a suggestion, and it's not a suggestion that I've come up with, but other men have made, godly men. When Satan starts to bring out your list of failings, remind him of your other failings he's forgetting. And remind him that you're forgiven. You know, it's kind of an interesting situation. I watched a little thing on bullying on, on Facebook and it just kind of came to mind. You know, you get a bully comes over and goes, I don't like you. Well, I don't like you. And it goes back and they get in an argument with this little girl this guy does on stage. And then when the bully comes up uh, or, you know, comes again and says, hey, be mean to me. And the girl goes, I don't like you. She, he goes, yeah, I'm not that great of a person. She goes, well, you're ugly. He goes, yeah, I'm not that good looking either. Yeah, it's kind of, I'm sorry. You know, well, you smell. I could shower more. And it totally, this, this girl arguing with this guy, knowing it's a setup on stage, totally demeanor changes. How, how do you argue with, you know, well, yeah, I wish I could, you know, yeah, I'm really ugly. I wish I could, you know, you're pretty nice looking, though. And just totally dies it. When Satan comes at you and he tries to bully you, yes, you're a sinner. We're all scum. Jesus loves scum, saves scum, redeems scum. You know, and many times we come to a situation and we think, there, God tries to keep us away from what? Fellowship. Well, I don't want to go to church. Why? Because they might find out I'm a sinner. You know, we we start to distance ourselves, and we let Satan get in and we start to doubt what he's done. We're all sinners. And that's what's so beautiful about this is it's not based on us, is it? It's based on his mercy, his work, what he has done. You know, God doesn't say, hey, I'll have a relationship with you. When you accomplish A, B, C, and D, I'll forgive you. No. Simple confession here. That one verse contains it all. And so, the rest of 14 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So on top of that, you come humbly, God's going to exalt you. He lifts you up. You know, if you come in prideful and like this other man, God's going to have to, hey, wake you up. Did you forget who you were? No, I'm this great person. Okay. Well, let's just share this fact about you with a couple of your close 6,000 friends on Facebook, and we'll see how great you think. No. But you look at those things and you humble yourself. Now, this McKay, I was kind of interested in as we came up talking with him. I'm going to kind of write him out here. He was joking around about something. I said, oh, man, you've got to make shirts for that. He goes, yeah, we should have a new church logo. It says, Covered Chapel, making humility great again. I yeah. contradict contradiction, but I thought it was hilarious. But, you know, you sit there and you look at it. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I love James in this sense because he doesn't mess around. He didn't say if you were a sinner you need to humble yourself. If you happen to fall in this... no, he calls you sinners. straight up. You sinners. That's the truth of who we are. We are fallen men. We are sinners. But God still loves us. And there is a time to sit down and reflect about who we are and our nature and be grieved by it. Our sin nature shouldn't be bragged about. Shouldn't it shouldn't be you look at it, it should be a grievous thing. You know, many times if you hear people share their testimony and stuff, and it was like, oh man, I used to this, 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 this. Oh yeah, and Jesus saved me. Really? You know, yeah, I was, and, and it's like you glorify this past compared to, man, this was, I caused so much pain, so much destruction. We, we, we are all, and just human nature, we're all real prideful, aren't we? We just go straight to pride. Oh, I have, I'm great, I've, you know, I was a sinner, but I was a good one. I was the best one, man. You guys should be all envious of how great of a sinner I was, but then I accepted Christ, and you know, you know the rest of the story. But anyways, you know, 15 minutes on how horrible a sinner you were, and then say, Jesus loved me. You know, you sit down, when you look at the truth of the matter is, no, we are all horrible, nasty sinners, and we need Jesus to forgive us. And he clearly brings us out in this. And when you think about that is, you know, come and pray. Come and seek me. Do not lose heart. Come to me. And come as you are. What a beautiful thing. Anybody in here, you can, no matter where you're at, instantly turn your heart to God and draw near to him. Right? It said, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And draw near to God. And he'll draw near to you. Not... Cleanse yourself, repent. No, just simply draw near to him. In whatever situation you're in, you can sit there and go, God, I need your help in this. I'm blowing it. And draw near to you. And he goes, okay, well, I'll give you some time. I'll give you a couple weeks and see how this... No, he says he'll draw near to us. And he's faithful in that. You know, it's so many times, I don't know how many times, we, this world, we earn reward, right? You get together, there's something, something done, there's an accomplishment, and, and that's the way this world works, right? There's, everybody gets together and applauds, you get a plaque on the wall, you post it up, you get an award. You know, I don't, you know, people have trophy cases, depending on who they are, athletes or whatever, and that's what we do. We applaud and back people up for reward. That's not the way God works. There isn't a performance, there isn't a, oh, you accomplished this, and so therefore I'm going to reward you. It is all based on what he's done. And sometimes, I don't know about you guys, it seems like the world and and life beats me up. And I stop and I sit down and I go, man, I feel dirty. I don't feel like I can just walk into the presence of God. How many times have you come in for worship on a Sunday morning and go? I don't feel... I don't even think my heart's in the right place to start singing a worship song. Besides even feel dirty, I'm just preoccupied. I haven't... My mind isn't there. I haven't had any kind of relationship with, you know. Like, you know, just not ready. And God goes, He's here. He's waiting. None of that matters. And just to be able to come to Him. And then He brings it up a little more in verse 15. He says, and we're going to kind of look at come as a child. Come as a child. Verse 15, it says, And then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, the disciples at this point, not that they were cruel, mean. You know, sometimes you get this picture of these disciples like, What are these guys' problems right? But in that culture, children had little value in a sense, right? And um, he, you know, there was a thought that uh, you might have a rabbi or something touch and bless your child, say a blessing over your child, not to beat anybody up, but to beat some people up anyways. He didn't baptize them, you notice. He didn't say, bring the little children to me that I might baptize. them." But anyways, he, you know, so he's bringing them, he's touching them. And when they tell him, hey, knock this off, we're not doing this and they rebuke him, Jesus rebukes him. That's a harsh rebuke, right? Like, whoa, what are you doing? I don't know about you guys. Who in here likes to get rebuked by God? Not me. Right, and so he rebukes them. But children at this time would have had little value. Could you imagine the president was coming to Manteca, and he is going to meet here. What kind of people are you going to have meet the president? You were in charge of that. Well, I'm going to try to have him meet important people, people that are doing things that he might be able to help the town out or have some influence, you know. I'm going to try to get some important people, you know. Unlike Dave over there in children's ministry is like, yeah, I'll just bring him in here and have him talk to all the little kids. Maybe they can share some peanut butter and jelly and get it on a suit, you know, making peanut butter and jelly great again or whatever. You know, you think about little kids, dirty little kids, you know, I don't know how many, you guys, if you're ever around little kids, you're going to get something on you. It happens, you know. I've, I've always um, used, you know, I drove Heidi crazy because I'd be around little kids and I'd get a runny nose. I'd just grab the corner of my shirt and wash it, wipe their nose with it on a dirty roof or thing or something. I don't know. But you sit there and you look at it, and again, they didn't have much value. Why are you taking up the Messiah's time? And he rebukes them and he corrects them on it. And in verse 16, and continues on, and Jesus said, But Jesus called to them to him, saying, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for, for such is the kingdom of God. It's amazing to see that these children, and the way God viewed it, was... I mean, you think of all the Pharisees, all these great things, his disciples, and he looks at these children and goes, man, this is the kingdom of God. And everybody you're walking around, the temple, the sacrifice, he was like, ooh, look at this. This is the only time he actually makes a comparison to the kingdom of God in Scripture is children, these little children. This, this, these, these little ones, this is the kingdom of God. And it's amazing to see because children's faith are so simplistic. When you have your kids and and kids, it's so simplistic, especially when they're young, until you've taught them something different by your actions, right? They think you're Superman. You can do everything, or you're Supermom, right? They come, and when they're young, especially little children, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, one-year-olds, they do not offer you anything. Have you ever had this enlightening conversation with a one- or two-year-old? Might have had an entertaining conversation, but not something like your, ooh, you know. You want to sit the president of the United States down and go, okay, let's talk about policy. We got this two year old for you. He had some ideals. You know, he's really bummed that um, mom's not around all the time. It's not going to happen. There isn't, there isn't an offering, but yet that has how we're supposed to come as little children. And, and, and that simple trust. And sometimes that trust is stretched because we're not God, right? Your kid will jump off of things to trust you'll grab them, right? And they'll, they'll just trust and trust. Aaliyah is learning to walk. And she's getting up, she's doing things, and she is almost shocked when she falls and somebody doesn't catch her, especially around our house. There's always little hands running around. And every once in a while she falls and somebody's not going to catch her as she's Learning to push the thing and can barely crawl and all this, you know, she just don't slow down. But there's a simple trust. There's a simple belief. in, And it's easy to trust your parents in that sense and that age. And you don't question things. You notice that? At least at first they don't. Then they hit eight or nine. And then they question everything. Why? 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 You know, but a little child doesn't. A little child trusts his parents. What's going on? They might not like certain things. They might cry. But they still know you love them. You know, they're not, when you're done changing a diaper, I hate you, I don't want to have anything to do. That comes in the teenage years. You know, praise God you don't have two-year-olds that act like teenagers. You would have arguments every time a diaper needed to be changed or anything, like, yeah, you don't love me anymore. But you sit there and you look at it in that childlike faith. And in verse 17 it says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Meaning this heart, this simplistic faith, you know, it, there isn't, not to say where you have to accept Christ dumb or you, you do not have solid faith built, built on facts and those things, but your heart has to be simple. There are many things we're not going to understand, right? There are many things a child doesn't understand about their parents. They don't understand how things work, how things go, why things happen, they're not going to understand or grasp it. That's why you don't have conversations with your children about certain things. You know, when your two-year-old goes, I want this toy. You go, okay, well, let's sit down. This is basic accounting principles. And this is mommy's and daddy's income. And You just don't do that. They're not going to get it. It's pointless. It's like, no, I'm not going to explain accounting principles to you. I'm praying, God. I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm asking. God goes, no. But why? Do you really want me to explain all these internal things to you or do you just need to trust me? But I want to know why. God goes, I'm sorry. It's impossible for me to try to tell your little brain why. Frankly, I'm infinite. You're finite. Get over it. You know, there's so many things and and you just scratch the surface. It's like... There's some of these theological arm movements, and I just always sit there and kind of chuckle inside when we think we can somehow get to the bottom of it. Once you're saved, all you're, saved. you're always saved. Okay, so how does that work? If God is omnipresent, He's outside of time and in every time at the same time. He's everywhere. So His consciousness is right here with you at your birth and at the beginning of time and at the end of time. Can anybody wrap their head around that fact about God? We can all agree he's omnipresent. We can all agree he's outside of time. We can't understand it. We can't understand how it's going to function. Now you sit there and go, oh, well, did Lucifer fall before the garden or after the garden? And they get in these arguments of time, and you go, well, it happened, I can tell you that. The time frame? Not necessary. I'm not going to understand it. And if I needed to, he would have explained it to me. You know, there's certain things you tell your kids and there's certain things you don't tell your kids until they're older and when they can start understanding things. And many times God does that, but we are to come to him with, like a little child. So there's that aspect that puts us all in a little category of little children, right? How many in here feel, you know, some of you teenagers are bummed about that. Some of you over 60 are excited to be called a little child again. But at the same time, Where's your understanding of God? I am not some great theologian. I just have my Bible, I just open it up, and I just read it, and can I trust what God's telling me? Yes, yes, you need to come like a child. It doesn't say come like a well-educated, degreed professor, doesn't come like this, don't come like his disciple. don't come like a Pharisee. You need to come like a child. That relationship is open to everyone no matter how simple. No matter how simple your thought process is, no matter, you know, I'm not an educated man, I don't understand this, I have a hard time reading, whatever. God meets us where we're at. and So you sit here and you look at these basics of this relationship. Come and pray. Come and spend time with him. Come as you are, a horrible sinner. And he loves you and he's forgiven you anyways and come as a child. Anybody in here have any great expectations of what a two-year-old is, has accomplished in his life? How about we go back to one, okay? So potty training isn't done. We all, I just, it's so funny when you think about it. When you, when you do it, it's not a big deal. Watching Aaliyah and getting excited at her first step. Right? With the joy in that. Isn't that the strangest thing? I mean, it's like in a person's overall life, we're gonna get so excited because they took a step, and we gotta, we want to get the camera out, we want to take a picture, and then I gotta tell everybody. And you know, do you guys still go around? Hey, this was my first step. This is when it happened. I just wanted you guys to know that. No, mom, dad, look, I, you know, I took my ten thousand and eighty-first step, or million step, or what? No, it's right it's such a little accomplishment and in the big picture of reality so minute but don't you see our heavenly father being the same way with us that that he came and he died for us out of just that pure joy not that we could ever offer anything to him but it's just this pure joy that he's watching us and go oh look what look what little pastor Timmy did this is awesome You're thinking, yeah, in the light of things, that's nothing. But he's excited because he's our Father and he loves us. What an amazing thing. John 1.10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to him he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name we are not who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That basically summarizes everything this morning. God didn't come because of your bloodline. You are not saved because of the will of your flesh, anything you can do in and of your own strength, nor the will of man and its accomplishments, but only of What God has done on the cross, we are considered his children. And that's never going to change. No matter how long you're saved, no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how much you sin, God's going to love you. And he's going to be your child. And he's going to still celebrate at your first step, in a sense, or your little steps, or the little accomplishment, you know. Can you imagine, even if you're not a parent, you've seen the excitement, you've always seen it, the excitement over when your child first says, Mama, and it's clear. And I'm sure there's been debates on how much of a mama or dada it was and how pronounced, you know, clear it was or not. But you think of that, right? The joy that comes. What happens... When a person for the first time turns around and goes, Daddy, Father, God, forgive me. The Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven. Why? Because it's like that little children, isn't it? It's like that little child. God says he rejoices every time a sinner repents. Comes to him. When we have fallen and we've blown it and we turn to him, it isn't, oh, they're back. No. He's rejoicing. He's excited. He's glad we're growing. It's just, you know, and and sometimes you teach through the Word and it's really convicting and all this. This morning, there's not a lot of conviction here. There's a lot of enjoy your relationship with God because He loves you no matter, I don't know, how dumb you are, how sinful you are, how stupid you are. Just sit there and spend time with Him. He loves you. Repent. God, help me he rejoices over that little heart change. What an awesome thing. No great requirements, no great education, no God's waiting for you to do this. You know, God, we've talked about how God calls us, how God prepares us for ministry at the men's thing and all these things and all these awesome doors he opens up. That pales in light of him desiring just to have that relationship with you. You know. You require your kids to do things around the house. Wash dishes and most of the time when you first start teaching your kids and they want to help with the dishes, please let me help with the dishes. How effective were they at washing the dishes? Now when they're older, you have expectations, but when they're little children, because that's what we're talking about here, how effective were they at washing the dishes? No. Did you give them the task? Yeah. When they failed, were you so upset about it? Was it the end of the world? No, you loved him anyways. That wasn't the point, right? And many times with ministries, that's, I think, very much where we're at. Yeah, God might call you and stuff, but don't forget, he just wants there. And most likely, the ministry he calls you to, you're not going to be that great at it. It might take some time, you know? It's okay. I remember one situation when Abigail, I don't even know how old she was, five or six, we were at, um, up at a family camp in uh, Pinecrest. And I took Anthony out, or Alex out on the boat first. Anthony was too young, and we went fishing one morning. Caught one trout. Praise the Lord, one trout. And everybody knew we caught the trout because he stood up and announced it in the boat. We're all over there, quiet. Yes, praise God, we caught a trout. So we caught a fish. That was an important thing. We wanted to go out fishing. Uh, fish probably cost me six, seven thousand dollars, and then no, you know, boat, fishing lures, all the stuff for one fish. Very expensive fish. But you know, you go out, and that was the point—to catch a fish. We caught a fish. That's all that mattered. He caught a fish. The next morning, get up with Abigail, go out with her, get some chocolate donuts. She's got a little chocolate donuts there, sitting there, it's like, okay, we're here, okay, go ahead and push the anchor out, pushes the anchor out, and it's not tied to the boat, it just goes Pinecrest's pretty clear, so watch it go down. She looks at me like this, worried look, I'm going to be like, ah, it's okay, we're good, we don't need the anchor, we'll keep fishing. Next thing you know, sitting there, got the pool in the water, okay, here's your pool and set up. Next thing you know, she's got the donuts in her hand, not the pool, and the pool goes fish and pull down on it. And that same poor, I'm, I failed look, you know, because she's not, you know, if you don't know her, she's not a, um, she doesn't try to be a perfectionist at anything, you know, but she sits there with this look, just, ah. Uh, I was like, that's okay. It didn't matter. We lost, we're here to catch a fish. And sure enough, praise the Lord, we caught one fish for her too. So Anthony wasn't old enough. We still owe him a fish. But you sit there and you look at the thing. We weren't, you know, Going out fishing with her wasn't about catching fish. It was about spending time together. It was more about us there and, and being able to teach her and stuff. Have you ever thought God's called you in, into a ministry and a direction, not because you're going to be great and effective at it, because he wants to do stuff in your own life? Right? Many times we go, out and, oh, we started in this, Lord, and we were praying about it, and you got it, and we went out and we obeyed, but man, I don't see any fruit. I'm horrible. And God goes, that wasn't the point. You're a little child. I love you. Get over it. You know? Just what an awesome God we have. Yeah, this morning as we look at the Scripture and look at just His heart. What an awesome thing. If you're sitting here and you somehow find yourself to where you start looking at your life and you start adding up those things and think you've earned anything, realize you haven't earned anything. You're no better than anybody else. And you're just as much as a sinner as that other guy. And the amazing thing even for that person is, even for the Pharisees, God still loves you just as much. Just slow down and realize it. Take his grace, take his mercy upon you instead of trying to have your own righteousness. Take rest in his. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our Father, that we can come to you, that we don't have to come in any kind of prayer or any kind of formula. We can just talk to you, Father, and you listen. That you love us like children, that we aren't slaves in a kingdom or, or somehow disconnected, but we get to come to you, call the God of all the universe, the God of all creation and all his power and all his the We get to call you Father. We get to know that you know and love us, Father, that you know us so intimately and you still love us and care for us. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.